Ladies and gentlemen, oh what a week makes. Last week I was feeling a bit off, a bit down, right? But now it's 21 degrees, windows open, and life is feeling good. And in the words of Public Enemies Chuck D, bring the noise. Fifth End Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Honestly, my week ain't even been that <laughs> even been that good, but at this moment in time, I'm feeling decent, right? I just went out, went outside, uh, walked the dogs as I usually do, popped on some chill hop, you know what I mean, some summer chill hop, and man, I'm, I'm just feeling decent. I'm just feeling solid right now. You know, you, you just it is the thing when you, you know, when you do, you know, pods or, you know, just anything, you know, recording or whatever, uh, you know, of that nature, you know, sometimes you, sometimes at that moment in time, you're just not feeling it, right? But you just do it just to do it. I do it to keep consistent, of course, right? I'm not going to just not record just because I'm a bit sad. But yeah, man, I just, I don't know. It's just weird. It's just weird. Weird what a week does, man. It's just weird what a week does. I'm not, not even saying I had a decent week or anything like that. It wasn't really all that. I can't really report much. Um, but yeah, man, it's just, uh, I just, I don't know. You, you just take, you just uh, put life into perspective, I guess. I don't know. It's just one one of those things where, you know, you just wake up and you're just feeling solid. So it's all good. Can't complain. Uh, anyway, hope you're all doing well. Um, and yeah, uh, milestones uh, past past the twenty thousand downloads on digging in digits. Um, so uh, big ups to Ben and uh, just everyone that listens on that front. Um, and uh, yeah, man, just a real just you know keeping on keeping on. Um, if the the links to the shows might change um, over time, um, I'm actually trying to transition to transistor websites a little bit um i have done so there's a a link available for all of them um so um i may or may not change in the full show notes if i remember to do so might not but regardless you're going to have the one on the fifth element or you can have the one on transistor and even that one on transistor will give you you know plenty of links um to the uh, all the other places you listen uh, you can listen to this and all the other 5 pn shows um, but either way, man, you're going to listen to it, and uh, yeah, man, I appreciate you listening regardless. So, with that said, let's jump right in. we got a solid, solid, solid lineup, solid lineup for this week, definitely. Uh, we got uh, streaming, TV, well, film, t- uh, film, film, basically, uh, music, and uh, life. And uh, this is going to be weird, because I'm actually recording with my window open outside, and <laughs> I just hear stuff, so I'm just wondering what it is. So if I do briefly pause to figure out what the fuck it is, that's just what it is. Um, that was just a pigeon flying off my roof, I think. <laughs> it, was just, it just sounded so... I, I just heard it in the back of my head. I was just like, what the fuck is that? It's really weird. But I may or may not close the window during the recording. Who knows? Um, but yeah, you know, just in the minor silence of me, you know, talking or whatever, you might just hear a little bird chirp or a car going past because that's where we live. Um, but yeah. Emails, uh, oh, formatting before we begin, got ahead of myself. Email to IG, you could Discord link all that, all that in the full show notes. I actually have like a few days to, I don't, I don't know what's happened to my Fifth Element IG account because it says like, I try and log in, it goes, it, I don't know if they've like, if they've just locked it up for 30 days or they're going to delete my account in 30 days. I'm not really sure which is which, but I guess we'll find out in a couple of days uh, <laughs> as to what will happen. Um, if that's the case, then. <sighs> I mean, I don't know, man. I, I, I really don't know. I might as well just continue on 5e12 and just keep it at that. I don't really I don't really have the energy to, um, you know, create a whole new Fifth Element account, really, um, just because it's some bullshit. Um, so, you know, if they want to delete my account, they can delete my account. That's fine. It's just less time for me to be on IG, and I can't complain about that. Um, maybe, um, you know, but it'll, it usually does benefit in terms of, you know, contacting some artists because some artists are you know either only on ig and they don't have twitter um a lot of them don't have twitter you know kind of well not a lot of them but most of them some i'll say at least half don't have twitter um so yeah 
is what it is. But then again, it's the same with Facebook. You know, some some are only on Facebook, weirdly enough. So you know, not, I can't contact them because I'm not on Facebook. So it is what it is. That's life for you. That's the that's the that's the those are the uh, L's I take on that front. But anyway, uh, where was I on the on the on the on the spiel? Um, all that, all that, all that. Please go give the articles a read for yourself. Go give them a read and support the writers that make this show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop and let's get into the show. In a week where Ukraine wins Eurovision and you and the UK comes second. Not even in Eurovision at all, but it was kind of inevitable that Ukraine was gonna win it. I just don't know how I, I still don't have the I just I still don't under understand the uh the 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 point of Eurovision. I just I just don't I still don't get it. I re- all these years. I remember in primary school my head teacher was such a fucking fan of it to the point where he forced all of us to participate in performing like Eurovision songs at that. Well, not performing them, but like dancing to them. Oh, it's just so weird. It's just a weird memory in my in my personal history. But anyway, uh, Finland and Sweden formally confirm intentions to join NATO. Uh, a new <laughs> it's great. A new Margaret Thatcher statue is egged within hours of it being installed in her hometown, I think, as well. So, <laughs> L. Um, 17-year-old Blackpool player Jake Daniels comes out, the first footballer to do so in 30 years. I find that just really fascinating, just like, I don't know, like, wow, 30 years? And, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I really don't care, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, you know, if, you, if you're gay and you play football, you're gay and you play football. It is what it is, like, you know, there's lesbians that play football on the women's side. So, you know, do you care about that? No. So, I don't know. I know it's like substantial in some way, but it's just one of those things where I'm just like looking at it and I'm just like, yeah, it's 2022. I'm, I've, I've been past caring. Um, but we, we kind of get into that. Not, not well. It, no, this, you know, it doesn't track. It does not track. I was, I was going to link it to one of the topics, but it doesn't track. Let's just, this is, just cut that off right there. And lastly, a Tory MP is arrested on suspicion of rape. So that's fun. Um, but let's begin with <sighs> ads. I hate ads. I I just I hate ads with a passion. Um, ever since YouTube started doing ads, um, I remember I was I remember the days, ladies and gentlemen, where you where you know it was occasional. You you get the occasional ad, and you always have the option to skip it, right? You know, and then then they started making them mandatory for every video with you know the Google AdSense and whatever. And then you, then you get your, then you get in them, and then uh, you know sometimes it, you can't skip it. Sometimes you have to watch it. It's thirty seconds of just drivel, right? And then it was mandatory that you just watch one. And then two came in, and then you can't skip those, and it just got worse and worse and worse to the point every single video with Google AdSense on it to make to monetize it to adverts every single fucking time, and I couldn't do it anymore. Um, so, and, and, you know, the reason, I'm not on Netflix, you know, constantly, my mum's actually on it more than I am, um, these days, but I just saw this article, and I was just like, you know what, if, if, uh, if, if stream, and I know that, um, in America especially, there are, um, many streaming services that have a paid, uh, that have a subscription where, you know, with ads, and that's obviously an L for me. That's a no for me. Not going to happen ever. Um, and uh, yeah, so the fact that Netflix are even mulling it um, and Disney maybe. I don't know, Chief. Don't know, man. That might be me and streaming Dunsky, honestly. That's not going to happen. If I'm getting ads on my Netflix shit, no, 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 no. Anyway, so this is called Coming Soon to a Streaming Service Near You Ads. This is by Peter Kafka. Uh, via Recode uh, by Vox. So let's jump around. Reed Hastings was consistent year after year. Anytime someone asked the Netflix CEO when he'd introduce ads to a streaming service, he insisted that it made no sense. Netflix was a better service because it didn't have ads, he would say. Thanks. That's when Netflix was growing. Now it's shrinking. And now Netflix says it will have ads. 
Yeah, nothing if not consistent. Last month, after announcing that his company had lost subscribers for the first time in a decade, Hastings told investors he wanted to introduce a lower price version of the service that would have ads, quote, over the year, next year or two, unquote. Um, though he was unclear about the details, I'm sure we'll just get in uh, and figure it out. Uh, there's a there's lot of figuring there's a lot of figuring out to do. This week, Netflix has moved up the timetable. Uh, telling employees an ad tier could roll out before the end of 2022. All of which underscores a significant change in the way streaming video companies view their business and how some people are going to view their t- view TV and movies. TV advertising, which seemed like it was destined to be a relic, is suddenly very much alive again even with services that once staked their identities on the absence of ads. Last year, for instance, HBO Max started selling a lower price tier with ads. Disney Plus is adding one of its own this year. It's a head-snapping turn for an industry that seemed as though it was sprinting away from ads as fast as it could, in part because it was following Netflix's anti-ad lead. But if you step back, there are two uh, easy-to-understand reasons why streamers are embracing ads willingly or reluctantly. Number one... Even in 2022, there's an enormous amount of money in TV advertising, and it's still growing. Media agency Zenith predicts advertisers will spend $65 billion um, dollars, dollars, what's a dollar, um, on TV ads this year, up 4% from last year. Even in 2022, people still watch a lot of TV programming, but they're increasingly watching it on streaming services on their TVs. Streaming services now account for 30% of TV time per Nielsen. So advertisers want to fish where the fishes are. And number two, the streaming wars are expensive to fight. All of the new services chasing Netflix are throwing billions of dollars into programming to attract and keep their subscribers. In the old days, networks and studios had multiple ways to make money from programming. Ads, cable TV, subscription fees, and syndication. But the new model removed all of those in favor of a single fee from consumers. Adding back ads is a way to bring in more money and or increase profits which are increasingly important to investors. What's a little harder to understand is why uh, the ad experience on streaming TV for the people uh, paying for the ads and the people who have to watch them is still lousy. Conventional TV advertisers know exactly when and where their ads run and have at least some sense they are reaching a lot of people with a single buy. But while streaming platforms offer the promise of more data and better targeting, advertisers have to confront a confusing array of different programmers, ad-serving companies, and platforms. Streamers, uh, streaming TV viewers, meanwhile, will encounter unskippable ads that frequently repeat multiple times per show, and oftentimes seem randomly stitched in TV shows or movies without any rhyme or reason. They are often way too loud, so much so that US lawmakers have proposed regulating them. All of this in a medium that was supposed to be more personalised and smarter than old-time TV. Instead, lots of it seems, uh, yeah, lots of it seems as dumb and scattershot as the spam in your inbox. That's great. Quote: We've taken everything the internet taught us about how to make ads shittier and brought it to TV, says Joe Marchese. I'm saying Marchese is a CH, but I'm saying Marchese, a former internet and TV exec- uh, ad executive. He sold his True X company to Fox in 2014, who now runs Human Ventures, a startup investment company. Another quote: uh, There is an enormous flaw between how digital ad tech has evolved and what will need to be what will be what will be needed to uh, be successful in a tv environment says dave morgan a long-time digital ad executive whose company current company simul media uh, works with conventional uh, streaming tv advertisers which makes it somewhat puzzling that netflix which made lo- uh, which made which long made ad free uh, streaming a core part of its brand is now rushing to into ads uh, seemingly without uh, much planning and no apparent infrastructure ditto for hastings call why is there two S's? That's, that's annoying. Uh, earnings call comments suggesting he'd like to outsource much of the work to other quote other people who would do all of the fancy ad matching and integrate all of all of all the data about people so we can stay out of that unquote. That's because most TV ad industry people I talk to argue that the worst parts of the streaming ad experience stem from the maze of middlemen that sits between advertisers and streamers, which often makes it hard to figure out where, when, and how ads end up on your screens. None of that jives with Netflix's history of taking uh, great pains to control every part of its service, from creating its own distribution system back in its DVD by mail days, to building out a sophisticated system to deliver streaming video. So either Hastings has a plan he's been building out quietly, out of a view, out of, view of the ad industry, 
where he's quickly spinning something up to shore up Netflix's revenue and stock price. Either scenario would be surprising. Before we go any further, if you've become used to ad-free streaming at places like Netflix, Disney Plus, and HBO, you don't necessarily need to worry as long as you're willing to pay up. <laughs> Great. Uh, <laughs> all of the all of those companies either have or are working on a tiered service, where the most expensive versions will be ad-free and cheaper ones will have ads. So basically, you know, Spotify, Apple Music kind of vibes, and, and I, 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 I kind of my mind is very actually much blown when um, people um or have ads on like uh, run ads on their spotify account and stuff like that i just i i can't ima- i can't imagine such a hell honestly that's jesus christ that sounds absolutely depressing uh but many of the new and fastest growing uh, services are explicitly built to carry ads like comcast NBCU's peacock paramount's pluto and 21st century fox's tubi the tech-based TV companies are increasingly interested in ad support and streaming as well. Amazon has something called Freevee, which used to be called IMDb TV. Uh, Roku has its own free Roku channel, currently stocked with bargain bin leftovers and those quibby shows you've never you never watched, but may uh, but may one day feature programming from pay TV channel stars. Uh, none of which is necessarily bad. Programmers argue correctly that ad supported streaming can give consumers more choice about what they want to watch. Uh, and how much, if anything, they want to pay for it. As some advertisers say they're quite happy with the advantage- advantages digital TV ads can offer. Sam Bloom, the CEO of Camelot Strategic Marketing and Media, uh, says he's spending around $200 million on streaming uh, TV ads for his clients and is pleased that the tech lets him strip out some waste. Roku, for example, uses quite automated content recognition tech on its smart TVs. It lets it track uh, what people are watching, regardless of whether it's coming from a streaming service or cable, or even over-the-air TV. That may strike you as creepy, but for Bloom, it's a plus. It allows him not to uh, to not show ads to viewers that have already seen his clients' ads, or allows him to target customers who have seen ads from his customers' rivals. Still, even the most optimistic digital TV booster will concede that streaming TV ads will have a lot of growing up to do. Quote, it's in an awkward adolescent phase, unquote an executive at a major uh, streaming tech company tells me. But with money rolling in, it's not clear how that happens anytime soon. Quote, Yes, you'll see a bunch of tweets about how I watched something and saw uh, the ad three times, and I hate this experience, unquote. Says an executive who runs a major ad support uh, streaming service, but that person still watched it. See, and there you go, that, that's it, that's it. That, you know, but they still watched it, uh, can't, no, I mean, it's just like, the, 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 uh, the the I I just and this is coming from me right um so a person who if I'm watching TV majority of the time I've recorded it and that's kind of it like I watch my recordings and I kind of stick it at that the only time I'm watching ads is when I'm watching like a live sports event or just a live event in that nature right if I'm yeah that's, that's pretty much it you know what I mean I'm not I and even if that's the case I'm muting it. And, you know, you can mute, I guess you can mute ads, you know, when you're, watch, whenever you, you know, it pops on, on your phone or your laptop or whatever. <sighs> but I, I just, I, I don't know, man. It's di- it's different on just regular TV for me because most of, like I said, most of the time I've recorded whatever I want to watch. So I don't really care. I can just fast forward it. It takes me 30 seconds, less than that. And boom, I'm still watching what I'm watching, right? It's no beef for me. That's a necessary evil I just take. And, you know, I, I can at least combat it with fast-forwarding, right? It's no skin off my nose. Um, but just the just the shoving ads down your throat shit, just it just, doesn't, it just doesn't sit right with me, man. It just does not sit right with me. At least, like, regular TV feels optional, you know? The ads feel optional. I don't know why. It just feels optional to me. Most of the time, it is to me, right? But just streaming and uh, like youtube uh, just shoving it down your throat it's just uh it just it just puts me a it just puts me in a bad mood man just thinking about it i just i just want to burn everything down it just makes me feel anarchistic i'm just like uh just you know get the pitchforks out so yeah fuck ads i'm not gonna happen um yeah just no chance in hell i'm gonna um get on that boat like i just i just don't care like honestly guys just just keep just keep lashing the logins to each other, you know what I mean? Just get that. Just, you know, pull it. Pull your resources if you want if you even if you have to. 
you know, get that free version and just share it. That's that's my advice, honestly. Because for me, for me, um, I don't have the P to, you know, um, to have all these streaming sites. And to be honest, I don't really have the time to watch everything I want to watch. So it is what it is for me at this point. Um, I just, I'm past caring. Um, it is what it is. Um, I watch what I want to watch. And, uh, you, know, <laughs> and, and you know, it is what it is. So, um, and most of the time, that is, that's the ads are going to be skipped come hell or high water. hop into music and uh this is all about uh, kendrick lamar's new album well not all about but partly about kendrick lamar's new album uh, mr morale and the big steppers um but this is um all about technically um a specific song on the album um i'm going to talk about the album in depth in a couple of weeks on digging in digits so uh, we're doing a three-part um, retrospective on kendrick lamar uh, from his uh, mixtape days to now uh, and also the future i guess to him as well Excuse me. Um, so yeah, if you want to go go spin DITD if you haven't already, um, and uh, catch up on that. Um, but for now, uh, I'm gonna read this uh, by KB Brookings, uh, Brookings, um, by OK Player. It's called "How Kendrick Lamar Stumbles Toward uh, Queer and Trans Allyship on Auntie Diaries." And uh, if you haven't heard the track, go spin the track right quick. Um, or read the lyrics at least, and you'll get what we can't what, get. What, you get the article, and uh, you know what's what's uh, what's going on. In the base, in the skeletal base of it, um, but yeah, if you have, good for you. Let's jump into this. On Friday, Kendrick Lamar released his highly anticipated album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. That same morning, I woke up and saw tweets discussing Auntie Diaries, a song on Lamar's album that discusses his personal journey toward queer and trans acceptance, embodied in a recurring phrase the rapper uses throughout the track: "My auntie is a man now." From this moment, I knew that the song would become a topic of discussion on social media. I've learned not to expect much from hip-hop, since its inception in the early 70s, the black male-centric genre has been fraught with issues around queerphobia, transphobia, and sexism. Rick Ross's use of the F-word in the 2018 song with Meek Mill and Jay-Z was barely news. Kodak Black, a feature on Lamar's album, has said horrendous things about queer women as a black quack... Whoa. I... <laughs> Uh, that, that, that was a mouthful for me. A black, queer, trans, masculine person uh, that grew up in hip-hop, I've had to learn uh, to take what I can. That is, until recently. In recent years, hip-hop has seen a slow but continual rise in black, queer, and trans representation. There's Lil Nas X, Frank Koshin, Saucy Santana, and countless other black, queer, mostly cisgender folks doing work in the genre, despite many of them still facing issues based on their identities. Um, and there's a couple of links uh, that they've put there, um, if you want to peep, uh, while trying to advance their careers. On Artie Diaries, uh, Lamar attempts to present himself as an ally as he details ex- his experience with using a queerphobic slur, acknowledges his trans family members, and calls out bigotry and religious-based queerphobia in the black community. It seems like a good gesture on the surface, but beneath, the, the rap- but beneath that the rapper and his predominantly cisgender and straight fans Still has a lot of work to do before he can fully consider himself an ally. I can listen to this song without thinking of J. Cole's Villuminati. In this track, Cole attempts allyship by pointing out homophobia, all while saying the F word multiple times. In Auntie Diaries, uh, Lamar follows the same miscalculation by uttering the F word a whopping 10 times. In both instances, the intention of allyship is clear, but the impact is uttering a harmful slur that the rappers themselves have no right to say, much less reclaim. As discussion of Auntie Diaries hit Twitter, Kendrick fans came in droves to defend his use of the word, and in the process, talked over queer and trans people's rightful critiques. Feeling like you have to say a slur in order for people to quote-unquote get it, gives off the feeling uh, that you don't trust your audience to comprehend basic LGBTQIA plus stuff. Where Kendrick also fails on this song is by switching pronouns and ways to address trans people that is very cringy. From the recurring line of Miles is a man now to dead naming Caitlyn Jenner, the Bruce rap uh, the, the Bruce, the rapper fails to also acknowledge it, uh, acknowledge the nuances uh, that come with being trans. It is never ever okay to dead name or mispronoun a trans person, even if you knew them pre-transition. Whether Kendrick reigned uh, this track uh, by his 
Oh, it was supposed to be ran. This, it says rain, but it's supposed to be ran. Whether Kendrick ran this track by his uncle or not, it's instances like these in Auntie Diaries where his intent falls short. To hear one of my favourite rappers fumble allyship this publicly and to watch so many straight cisgender people jump to defend him was hard. It's even harder to be told uh, that this is the best at hip-hop, particularly the type of conscious rap that Kendrick caters to, can do. Queer and trans people don't expect perfection, but we do rightfully expect for our feelings and critiques about media that fails us to be listened to and not spoken over. In the age of anti-trans legislation being at high, it is in the best interest of LGBTQIA uh, plus people to demand more from the media we consume. Uh, there are enough anti-trans sentiments, so even misguided allyship, uh, so so even misguided allyship needs to be lovingly critiqued. It's important to remember that all criticism is not cancelling, but an invitation, and a sign of a conversation to do better. Lamar could have introduced this conversation uh, in a way that preserves the dignity of LGBTQIA+ people by being more creative with his raps on Auntie Diaries. The actual F word could have been easier to press with F word while using the names of sets uh, name sets of pronouns that reflect how a person lives in the world now uh, lives in the world now would would have been the most appropriate phrasing to use another option would have been to have his uncle speak on his experience how societal phobias have impacted him and how he feels about Kendrick's progress brackets of all else he could issue some kind of apology to donate to black, uh, black queer and trans efforts considering he gets paid well as a rapper I long to live and participate in a hip-hop culture that changes as times change. When we are resistant to educating ourselves and decentering our feelings and views in someone else's story, then we are the opposite of progressing. Uh, when Lamar fans see a critique of this song, I implore them to be curious instead of combative and try to understand the damage that words like the F-word and misnaming, pronouncing, mispronouncing does to the psyche of queer and trans people, even if that's not their lived experience. Lamar doesn't need you to defend him. And you can walk away with more knowledge that helps you be a better ally. We have to trust each other more uh, more, and not hurt a community that's already been hurt one too many times by hip-hop in the process. Lamar's album is his public stumbling towards a better version of himself. I applaud the step he took in 90 Diaries, though it was a misgui misguided one. And hope better ones follow as his new artistic path begins. So yeah, that's a very interesting... Um, just. Um, uh, opinion uh, towards towards the whole um, uh, towards the song itself and uh, the aims of the track especially um, you know I've always as soon as I heard the track I was just like um, okay I'm not too comfortable with the F going, uh, going on uh, 10 times I didn't realize it was 10 times I thought it was more to be honest it felt like more um, but yeah it's very it is very um, it is very jarring um to 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 listen to um and you know i don't think the uh, how should i word this the track isn't aimed for aimed to the queer and trans community right and uh you know like brookin said um if kendrick wanted to aim it towards them um then you know have uh have his uncle uh you know be on the track right in some fashion like through you know uh, the voicemail trope some, some something like that you know um you know similar to something like fear uh where his uh i, I forget who if it's his cousin or whatever i forget um you know basically just talking about you know religion for like four minutes right to have something like that that'll be that'll be that'll be very fascinating to hear that that kind of experience and life experience and uh opinion um on on wax on an album such as this you know but it still goes down this route um and you know not to make it about the album but this that's kind of the whole whole f uh, overall thoughts i have towards the album itself where i'm just like the 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 ambition the the introspective the ambition to be so raw with the introspection is mind-blowing i don't think i've heard an artist be this in be this raw in the introspection throughout an album um but fuck man just so many of it has missteps so many of it like kodak black being on the whole album doesn't make sense to me it just doesn't make sense to me any y y there were so many people you could have picked so many people but you decided to pick the guy that literally was convicted of rape like just that is a non-starter for me personally right 
And then, you know, going back to this track, again, uh, going back to my main point, um, while I, I don't think it's aimed towards um, the uh, queer trans community, I think it's aimed at his fans in some way to, to say, you know, um, back then we used to say this, and I get why he's saying it, I just don't think he should, because it just comes off as, you know, a bit, um, I don't know, just, you know, com- coming off that, uh, uh, you know, it's art, bro, I, just, I don't know, I don't know, I'm a bit on the fence towards that, I can see why people, like, I can see why people fuck, uh, defend it, and I can see why people don't, right, as an artist myself, I understand, but I just, mm, I don't know, it's, it's like, it's, it's like when Quentin Tarantino just, like, has, you know, the N-word in his films a lot, and it's just like, you don't have to go this hard, bro. You, you really don't. It's known. It's not. You know. It doesn't have to. Doesn't have to be that. Doesn't need to be that hard. Um, but anyway. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's aimed towards the queer and trans community. Um, if it was, then it's a piss poor effort. Um, I think it was aimed towards more. Aimed more towards his. You know, his fans and you know, general hip hop. Um, the average hip hop fan that you know that don't that don't I don't think they're allies they're allies in this in this case. I really don't think the average hip hop fan? No. No way. No way. No way in hell. Um, you know, they, shit man. Can't even get past misogyny at this point. Like still can't get still can't the average hip hop fan still can't quite get over the misogynistic part. They can't even uh listen to uh female artists and have though and have a healthy um ratio as uh, you know, for for male female ratio in their listening habits, you know they they can't do that, and you expect expect me to and you expect and you expect them to you know um to just say oh yeah queer trans people yeah 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 no it's not gonna happen, you know the average hip hop fan is a bit of a dumbass on that front, um culturally and societally it's just that they're a bit behind they're really behind, um but like you know in some ways kudos to Kendrick for trying. And it's a good shout. It's a great conversation starter. But like with, but with this track, and with a lot of the album, man, it could have been just. It could have been done so much better. So hop here to film, and uh, we're going to be talking about Michelle Yeoh, um, the legend that is Michelle Yeoh, um, stunt legends, action film legends, uh, yeah, just just a legend, just just a legend. If you don't know Michelle Yeoh, um, you know, just <laughs> get to know, get to know, brethren. Okay, um, so this is an interview, uh, Vine Independent, uh, by Annabelle Nugent. Uh, it's called Michelle Yeoh. I waited a long time for this. I was patient. I was resilient. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm I'm going to see um, everywhere everything all at once on Friday. Um, so this is kind of why I'm talk. I wanna I wanna read this um, because um, for me personally, I'll just, um, I'll just I just I just really love Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> I just I just I just love Michelle Yeoh. I love this Michelle Yeoh. Like, every time she every every time uh, it's during, especially during the interviews um, this uh, this year um, uh, towards the film uh, promoting the film. I don't know. She's just been very captivating as a, as a talker. So. Um, yeah, just I'm a, I'm 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 not a, I'm not like an old fan in terms of that. Like you know, I'm not, I'm not like you know, I, and I don't do this for many actors to be honest. Where I'm like rushing to see their new film, um, but I just I just really respect Michelle Yeoh, and I want her to be in this show. I want to, I got an idea for, but that's that's neither here nor there. So let's jump right. Uh, twice, Miss Michelle Yeo, uh thought her career was over. 1995, working on the stunt woman with Sammo Hung, uh, she hurtled from an 18 foot overpass onto a moving truck. Yeo misjudged the jump, fracturing a vertebrae, a vertebra, and uh, several ribs on impact. It wasn't her first injury. By then, she was approaching nearly a decade as working one of uh, as one of Hong Kong's high-kicking action stars alongside Jackie Chan and Jet Li. But it was her worst accident yet. Yeo was immobilized in a neck and back brace, wondering why on earth she did what she did. Quote, Back then, the fights were insane. No CGI. It was dangerous and risky. Insane. She repeats a little wistfully, and amazing to watch. Yeo59 is now one of the most recognisable Asian actors in the world, owing to a prolific few decades during which she became a mainstay on the big screen. Filmgoers have Quentin Tarantino to thank for that, a diehard Yeo stan, who persuaded her during a, a chance meeting to stun another day. Uh, the universe rewarded Yeo's metal when she landed her first Hollywood gig shortly after in a James Bond movie at that. 
After cruising on a motorcycle while handcuffed to Piers Brosnan in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, Yeo took the lead in Ang Lee's Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon, embodying the film's balletic beauty. Uh, is it, yeah, balletic? Because you don't say bal- bal- ballet, so I don't know, ballet beauty? I don't know. Um, in more character-driven fare, she proved her acting skills to be as sharp as her daggers, playing a courtes- courtesan, yeah, courtesan uh, with a heart of gold in Memoirs of a Geisha and a Starfleet captain uh, in Star Trek Discovery. More recently, she portrayed the fiercely protective and possibly chic mother in Worldwide Smash Crazy Rich Asians. Asians. Can't, can't say Asians, right? Over a video, Rio radi- uh, radiates the regality she has perfected in movies. Time has sharpened her cheekbones to fine points so high you can hang off them. <laughs> That's great detail. Uh, her hair is pulled off her face in a low braid uh, swung over her shoulder, evoking the classic style worn by martial arts fighters. But her latest role in the new multiverse hopping film Everything Everywhere All at Once, directed by the duo known as the Daniels, uh, play against her usual type. She stars as a woman who doesn't always have it together, a woman who doesn't have perfect hair, a multifaceted woman who I discover over the course of this conversation is closer to the real-life Yeo than uh, her previous roles have ever been. Minus the hair thing, Yeo has great hair. In Everything Everywhere, Yeo is Evelyn Wang, an overstretched uh, Chinese-American immigrant whose problems are personal. Her husband is about to file for divorce. Professional, uh, her laundromat business is being audited. And Cosmic, her universe faces an encompassing evil that only she can defeat. Evelyn grants Yeo the opportunity to embrace a messier version of the ultra-composed maternal figures that populate her CV. Quote, It was liberating, Yeo says of the switch-up. In Evelyn, she recognised a certain type of woman that she uh, sees daily. These mothers, aunties, grandmothers who are there in Chinatown or in the supermarket, but nobody ever notices them. They just walk straight past them. I wanted to give them a voice. I wanted to make them a superhero. She gestures through the screen. Someone like your mum or your grandmother. Unquote. Yo has been playing someone like my mum or my grandmother for decades now. It is what some uh, it is somewhat mystifying that this is her first time topping a Hollywood call sheet. Her Everything Everywhere co-star Jamie Lee Curtis recently said Yeo was someone, quote, who has been waiting patiently for us to pay fucking attention, unquote. Yeo cackles at this, visibly embarrassed by the compliment, quote, You know what? I did. I waited a long time for this, and luckily it came. Some people wait their whole life and the opportunity might never come. I was patient. I was resilient. I never stopped learning. And so I was ready uh, when the opportunity did present itself, unquote. People are certainly paying uh, fucking attention now. Uh, everything everywhere, uh, uh, everything everywhere, a gonzo action mo- uh, comedy that flits between alternate universes is rapidly becoming a phenomenon and is earning you the best reviews of her life. This is perhaps a lesser testament to how great she is in the film, although she is, the, than evidence of how underappreciated she has been in others. Yeo was born into an upper-class cla- upper family in Ipoh, Malaysia. I hope you all said that right. Was it Ipoh? Um, she moved to London at 15 to study ballet at the Royal Academy of Dance, though her back injury uh, stamped out those dreams when she pirouetted uh, into drama instead. When Yeo returned home after graduating, her mother entered her in the Miss Malaysia beauty contest. She won. Uh, by way of fate, Yeo soon found uh, herself filming a watch commercial opposite Jackie Chan, her first film role arrived shortly after, 1984's The Owl vs. Bumbo. Uh, I, th- I assume that's a V. It's a weird-looking weird V. Um, uh, she was cast as the damsel in distress, a surprise to no one, least, all, uh, least of all to her. Quote, Action movies in Hong Kong in the early 80s were very much a boys' club. The women, we were always protected and defended. Unquote. Between the pearl clutching and swooning required for her part, Yeo watched the fight with sequences eagerly. Quote, It was like an elaborate choreographer choreographed uh, dance piece there we go except there's no music and okay given that they given they have weapons instead of tutus she laughs but I knew I could do it for her second film Yeo told the producers that she wanted to try fighting they thought I was mad or crazy or both but the studio took a chance and got her training with the industry's top dogs here she was an ex-ballerina and beauty queen wishing to rough and tumble with the boys I cut off my hair and I trained hard I would run on the promenade with them uh, in the morning and then cue the Rocky Balboa montage. We'd work out in the gym until 7 in the evening. Within a year, uh, Yeo was the lead in her own kung fu movie, uh, Yes Madam. And over the next three, uh, she became prolific on the Hong Kong action scene. 
1988, Yeo married Dixon Poon, the co-founder of D&B Films, one of Hong Kong's major studios at the time. This was the other time she thought her career was over. Yeo decided to retire from acting to be a wife and hopefully a mother. Quote, I'm in awe of women who can juggle an amazing career, motherhood and family. I cannot. At that point, I realised that if I was getting married, then that's what I wanted to focus on, she says. I'm a very, very committed person, and I knew I couldn't be the best wife, and hopefully mother, if I was away months on end shooting. I didn't know how to balance that. I wanted to be able to travel my husband. I wanted to be a part of his life and make it our life, unquote. From the outside looking in, it seems like an absurd decision. She was only 25 and just getting started, but to her, it was an easy call, quote, it was not a difficult choice, it was a choice, it was my choice, unquote. Yeo was sadly unable to have children. Within four years, she and Poon divorced. It was the media that pulled her back into acting. She says with glee and a hint of disbelief, quote, it's never easy when you're going through a divorce, especially if you're a public person. But journalists were so respectful. They said my fans were waiting for my next film, and I said, what fans? She makes a funny face, eyebrows arching high above the blue rim of her glasses. Yeo got back to work fighting crime alongside Jackie Chan and Maggie Chung, I'm assuming it's Chung, uh, in the beloved 1992 film Supercop. It said I'm sadly unable to have children. Um, I, I was just wondering why, but I guess I can look at that. I guess you can look that up later. Um, she came to international attention uh, thanks to a sidekick role in Tomorrow Never Dies. I asked Yeo if she had been apprehensive about accepting the part, given the fate of previous Bond girls. Sparring with 007 was going to be less likely than shagging him. <laughs> Quote, no! Exclamation mark. Uh, looking like me, I don't think sexualization was going to be a big problem, she laughs. Displaying a rare lack of self-awareness, Yeo counts herself blessed to have entered the franchise when she did. Bond was ready for change. Bond had to evolve because the fan base was also evolving. Women were choosing uh, the movies to go and watch, and we don't always want to watch ones where we were being sexualized, unquote. At the same time, Yeo, who I figure has fielded her, her share of questions about Asian stereotyping, maintains that Bond's racist past has also uh, also failed to put her off. Quote, I think every film should have the right to speak for itself on its own merit, she says, adding, it's only when you are given the opportunity to participate that you can make a difference, unquote. Uh, I tell Yeo uh, that Y Lin uh, was one of two actors who graced my bedroom walls when I was growing up. Lucy Liu in Charlie's Angels was the other. She grins in response. Yes, because you were seeing someone who looks like you on screen doing these amazing, fascinating, badass things. It's like an endorsement that says, uh, dot, dot, dot. Uh, she, she puts on a stern voice that reminds me of my mum. Hey, you can do that. You can do anything. Unquote. I love that. Th this is why, by the way, just a pause. This is why representation in journalism is needing, needed. I don't think you're getting this good an interview if it's just a white guy. Like, I, I'm loving the connection that these two have, the chemistry that these two have when they're talking to each other. And when, um, and you know, they can bond over um, just that, just even, you know, just, you know, they might never meet again, right? You know, it's an interview. It's just an interview, right? You might never meet her again. Miss um, uh, Nugent might never meet Michelle Yeoh again, right? And vice versa. But it's the fact that, you know, they have this chemistry just for this, just for this, this moment and for this piece that just makes this feel so much fuller. Just a little journalism critique here, and uh, you know, just journalism, journalism, uh, general um, <laughs> thought about journalism and uh, why diversity is so important. Just to, it's it's great. I'm loving this read, by the way. If you didn't clock, anyway, continuing on. Uh, now, a new wave of fans is being introduced to Yeo Star Power. Quote: The young kids don't know me because they didn't grow up watching Tomorrow Never Dies or Memoirs of a Geisha. Now I'm suddenly known by the younger generation, and they can relate to me suddenly. And I think that's a great achievement, she beams. I'm very grateful that everything everywhere is making a difference in their lives. Unquote. It isn't the first time Yu has been at the centre of a film credited with moving the needle for Asian visibility in cinema. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in 2000 was the first foreign language movie to break $100 million in the US. But Yu brushes aside uh, pres presumptions that box office success translated into meaningful change. No, she says with conviction. She, uh, since it was a period piece, the audience couldn't relate to it. It's a beautiful movie. It's like watching poetry. But it didn't change things for us. She reminds me that for all the Oscars acclaim, uh, Crouching Tiger, uh, Crouching Tiger, what's a Tiger? Tiger garnered. No actors were recognised. Were we not participating? Are we invisible? She waves her hand at the camera to illustrate a point. 
<laughs> I'm just loving the description of like her just literally waving at the camera. Uh, it's very interesting and it's happened again and again. As with Bong Joon-ho's Thriller Parasite, which in 2020 became the first foreign language film to take home a Best Picture Oscar. Although the film was universally praised, none of its stars received nods in the acting categories, as if rewarding the actors was just a step too far in the Academy's diversity bid. Uh, even with all the eight, this is a quote by the way, even with all the Asian movies coming out, there's been the norm, says you. Uh, so I think that has been the norm, sorry. So I think we need to do more, uh, we need to do more to say no, if you love this movie, there is a reason why there are real people in there who make you feel the way you do, unquote. In terms of the number of films led by Asian actors, however, the tide is beginning to turn. All released in the past five years, a Marvel blockbuster, Shock-Chi, rom-com uh, Tempole, Creature Asians, and an indie darling, Everything Everywhere. It's an evolution, says Yeo. We don't want to be unnoticed anymore. We've waited for such a long time. There are m- so many stories to be told. We want to see our faces on screen. And, as of on cue, my own camera cuts out. Oops, there's no more picture, Yeo exclaims. I reassure her that she's still visible to me. But how come I lost you? That's not fair. Still, she forges on. But yes, with all minorities, it's taken a while to get to where we are. But we're here. We have to take this responsibility very, very seriously and make sure that the stories coming out are not rushed and have been nurtured and continue to be told in the best way. Unquote. Hollywood has changed in decades since Yeo began her career and though she'd never dream of saying it herself, the actor played a no small part in helping it evolve. But for all that progress, there remains a sense around Yeo that she is exactly where she has been since the 80s, leading the charge, waiting for the world to catch up. <sighs> that was just a really, that was just a really beautiful read. It's just one of those reads where I'm just like, ah, oh, just, it just, you just feel good after reading it. You know, that was just really, that was just a really fun read. Uh, read. And um, you know, I'm just really excited for this film. Honestly, I'm really excited to watch it. Um, you know, I've I've heard really good things about it. Um, uh, from you know my particular sources of people that have already seen it. You know, they're gassing up heavy. And you know what? I'm just excited to see a film in a cinema that's not a blockbuster. Okay, I'm I'm just I'm uh, it's just so refreshing. And uh, there was a there was a really good tweet I saw a couple of weeks ago pertaining to that exact conversation. And I I can't for the life of me remember the point. And it's really going to annoy me um, whenever I think of this episode. But Put simply, I just can't wait for the fact that I get to see an indie film, and it is an indie film, don't get it twisted, it is an indie film, that I get to see it in the cinema, and, you know, amongst all the, you know, showings of Doctor Strange, right, um, even on the Friday I'm seeing it, um, there's only three showings of it, right, then that's fine, I feel like three's a solid number, um, but yeah, man, I, regardless, I'm, I'm just excited, I can't wait, and uh, I'll definitely report back next week. finish off the episode with a life topic and uh, this is all about walking so if you don't if you don't know me well you put well i don't know why and when i'd ever talk about something so on the show but i'm a walker i walk everywhere um pretty much i'm walking uh you know if i'm not on the train or you know uh, on some in somebody's car right or you know on the bus or whatever i'm walking um, I don't really do anything else apart from that. Um, I wouldn't mind, you know, getting like an e-bike maybe or, a, or an electric scooter, right? And I did have, um, uh, I did have an electric scooter for a minute. Uh, well, it was my sister's, but she binned it for another, for for something different. Um, so you know, I briefly had one. It was cool, right? Um, but you know, it's only good for like when it's dry and when it's in the summer. Um, just having it in the winter is kind of just a drag, and uh, you know. If, if, bro, if, you, if you hit like an ice patch on that fuck I don't know what your life is over bruv um so anyway um I just I don't know I just prefer walking I, I just I'm just really into walking and uh I found this article it was via the conversations by uh, Mr. Aled uh, Mark Singleton of Swansea University uh research fellow in geography um and uh he talks about uh walking is a state of mind it can teach you so much about where you are it's a violent conversation if I didn't say already. I'm not sure if I did. Um, and yeah, man, I just I just found this a very fascinating um, uh, reason 
uh, to get walking and to enjoy walking. I feel like most people don't enjoy walking. And that's fine, right? If you, you know, if you ain't got good feet, then sure. But, you know, if you have good feet, then, you know, why not walk? So let's get into this. This is this interesting. During lockdown in 2020, uh, governments across the world encouraged people to take short walks in their neighbourhoods. Even before COVID hit, though, amid the renewal of city, uh, city centres and environmental and public health concerns, walking was promoted in many places as a platform of active travel to replace car journeys. This resurgence in urban walking has been a long time coming. Our first baby steps might still be celebrated, but since the explosion of car use in the 1950s, people in Europe and North America have walked less and less. UK transport statistics show an annual increase of about 4.8 billion passenger motor vehicle miles from car and taxi use uh, in the four decades uh, to 1990. Uh, the last decade of the 20th, 20th century saw that growth slow, but until recently, our collective motor use just kept climbing. The pandemic changed that. Passenger motor vehicle miles decreased by over 68 billion, uh, and surveys suggest that 38% of the people who took up walking as an Uber suit to aim, uh, aim to stick with it. My research shows walking is more than an activity. It both ties you to where you are and unlocks your memories. Uh, in the 2000s, as part of their rescue geography project, um, geographers Paul Evans and Phil Jones facilitated group walks in the east side district of Birmingham, Britain's third largest city. See, I swear it was the second. Someone said it was the second largest, and now I'm saying, now I'm hearing it's the third. Like, what? I, I don't know anymore. Um, it might it might have been hearsay. I don't know. Big, biggest in terms of uh, in terms of what? Anyway, may, maybe not population. I guess. Uh, the idea was to rescue uh, local people's understandings of an area before it is redeveloped. They accompanied older former residents on foot through streets uh, they'd known as children before these inner-city neighbourhoods were demolished in the 1950s and 60s, uh, and they had ro relocated to suburbia, a shift which saw the car become their only option for everyday transport. Similarly, in my doctoral research, I used walking to understand how a neighbourhood of Keelian in South uh, Wales had expanded in the 1960s and 1970s. I did many one-to-one -one interviews with people not sat down in a room, but strolling through streets they knew well. It became a way of exploring how spaces act as thresholds to memories and to levels of the unconscious, which may not otherwise reveal themselves. People showed me the streets where they lived at points through their lives. One person took me on route, on the route he took to school during the 1970s as a teenager. Passing certain shops prompted uh, stories of how he'd walk to pick up a block of cheese or rashes of bacon for his mother. He told me how his family's shopping habits had changed over time. After getting a freezer in the late 1970s, they started driving to the out-of-town supermarket. I met another family who had lived on the same street for three generations. The grandfather was in his 70s, daughter middle-aged, and his granddaughter 11. His daughter described how the streets she'd known as a child in the 1980s were now so much busier and more dangerous because of the cars. She described her daughter's world as being narrower as a result. Walking changes the way we tell our life stories. Taking a street we once took often unlocks things. We might not struggle as much to remember specific dates. We find a freedom of sorts to go deeper into our memories. This chimes with the non-representational theories championed by geographer Nigel Thrift. Broadly, this approach highlights how physically being in a specific space can help us retrieve feelings or knowledge that are deep within the subconscious. In her research with migrant communities in UK, sociologist Maggie O'Neill has used walking and particip participatory theatre as, as what she calls biographical methods for exploring ideas of borders, risk and belonging. In a similar way, I collaborated on two public group walks with a dancer, Marega Palser, Seem as Palser. I planned lives, uh, lines on the ground uh, which link environments such as houses, shops, schools, busy roads, paths, and green spaces. And Palser turned material I gathered from my walking interviews into short pieces of street theatre that we would share as a collective. Palser's interpretations were deliberately disarming and playful. They triggered unexpected responses. In one case, she used toy vehicles to recall her car crash in the late 1960s. One person recalled how a relative in the 1960s had accidentally pierced the gas pipe, a very new technology at the time, in their council house kitchen. While the anecdote had initially seemed unimportant, we learned that the incident had happened on Christmas Eve, and that the council had some straight uh, had had come straight away to sort out the problem. Minds were cast back to a time when technologies now common were only just emerging. Many more attendees came forward and shared stories from their lives in the mid uh, mid 50s to mid 70s. 
They relayed how central heating had arrived with new build houses on suburban housing estates and how supermarkets had offered more choice. As with Evans and Jones's rescue geography project, I found that it was through touching and feeling these graf- uh, geographical spaces that people were able to connect with their memories. Walking, one person, uh, middle-aged, told me, quote, takes you back yourself, uh, yeah, takes you back yourself on a journey to the places you've lived. Uh, they spoke about the packed connections these places hold of being taken back to childhood and thinking about people who have spent their entire lives living in one place. Walking is about slowing life down and thinking about the local. It enables conversations. It develops empathy. More than a simple physical activity, it is a way of thinking and a state of mind. From online resources for composing walks and apps for tracking them to the online walking communities of people who cover each street in their city, the every single streeters, uh, there are plenty of ideas for you to get walking to. And that's very fascinating, actually. I was while I was while I was reading that, I was actually thinking about um, like what what can I possibly you know gain from um, you know walking uh, to a certain place. And um, I actually did it a few weeks ago. Um, went to London with my boy David and. Um, we went to we were in Hackney anyway, so we were very near Dalston, basically a walk away. So we walked there, and I literally walked through the estate that uh, my that my nan used to live, and um, yeah, it was very it was, it was incredibly fascinating, like of just how many things not like came flooding back, but just how small things looked, you know, like like in in the estates there, are, you know, the houses are very they're compact, right? They're narrow. But there's three stories, right? It's one of those kind of, if you, if you can imagine that. Like terraced kind of housing estates, you know, I mean, in a small square, a certain square feet of area. And there's like, you know, there's there's streets within it, the streets within the estates in a way. And, um, you know, some of the doors are the same. Um, there's no uh, kids park any uh, anymore. Um, well, in the particular spot where I used to hit. Um, but uh, there's still one down the road. And it was just very fascinating. Um, I actually initially thought um, the road before was what I was thinking of, but it wasn't. I had to keep going forward. I was like, no, that's not that. This is that. Because there was a, there was a house with the same door, and like there was the playground just outside it, and it looked the same, but it wasn't. And yeah, it was just really interesting just doing that. And yeah, I think we take, you know, walking in, walking in that kind of ethereal um that kind of ethereal thing in mind is um very fascinating um i also thought of like what would happen if i took mum back home back to her home in wales i wonder what she would tell me and even when i say that like you know my dad took we we went to we went to london he up the he up the emirates and um and then we and then he took me down his you know childhood street and he was telling me stories and just that that's only triggered by walking you know, by walking down it and, you know, taking the same, uh, same paths uh, towards, you know, wherever to go to school, going to the corner shop, even when he, even when he, we, we, we got to his home opposite, there was literally, according to him, you know, a corner shop, well, not even a corner shop because it wasn't in the corner, but it was a shop, <laughs> like, you know, just a local coffee and, uh, you know, it was opposite him and now it wasn't, um, I think it was a, uh, so, I don't know. It was, it was something else, um, but it wasn't Noffy anymore. And he was just, he was just turning around and looking at. You. It was like, yeah, shop used to be right here, and it was just interesting watching him retrace. And it's very, it's very fascinating. I want to do that with my mum now that I'm thinking about it. But yeah, man, I, you know, this is obviously to do with um, something about memories and um, and uh, taking account of things. Because even when I was reading that, I was thinking about like, hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, just uh, I, I knew. I remember. I remember there used to be a sweet shop, um, on the way to school, and it's not there anymore. It hasn't been there for at least a couple of dec, at least a decade now. And uh, you know, it's just it's just keep getting replaced with stuff. And opposite, there was like a plot of land, and used to be certain things. Used to be a gym at one point, and now it's just a couple of couple of flats. Um. But yeah, man, it's it's you know that happens all the time when I'm walking. Now I think about it, you know, I think I pass my, I go across um you know to Powell Mound, just uh look around there, go around my um, go down the seafront, and I get certain things, certain memories come back. 
it is very fascinating. And, um, you know, I've been pretty local most of my life. Um, you know, I have traveled, but not as much as I'd want to. Um, but yeah, when I, when I walk around certain places, um, it is fascinating. I kind of want to walk around Southampton now. This is kind of why I wanted, wanted to do that. Um, just to go back and just, you know, just, it's interesting reminiscing. It's interesting walking, especially walking to places you actually didn't hit. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 you know, I lived in Southampton for, you know, in cumulative years, probably two, but, you know, three years technically. And, um, you know, it was, it's, I didn't hit every place, right? I didn't, uh, I didn't go to all of the places um, that I could have gone to. Um, so yeah, I kind of want to do that in some ways, and just um, I just gain that and see how it changed. You know, I mean, it's been uh, how long's it been? Like four years since I've been there. God, it must have changed dramatically somehow, surely. So, anyway, enough of that, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, of the fifth podcast. No, what can't be charged saying this been most good intro music has been too much by vanilla. You can find this link in the full show notes. Thanks to Chill Breakers for Billy's track. You can also find their link in the full show notes. And thanks to Nappy Hire, friend of Five and Nappy Hire. Billy B's use charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, I'm going to go see a film and not a blockbuster. Hope you all have a good week. I shall always try and do the same. Until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.